Father God, as we come to this section of Mark's gospel, you've been showing us um, who Jesus Christ is. Would you please continue to do that for each of us today? Would your spirit open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus Christ in all his glory, what it means to truly follow him today, that we may do just that as we leave today and in the week ahead. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, our passage uh, this afternoon is a long one, right? We're going from chapter 8, verse 31, all the way through to chapter 9, verses 29. And there is loads going on here. We have Jesus saying he must die. We have Jesus calling his disciples to follow him and die. We have Jesus turning this dazzling white like something out of a Captain Marvel movie. We have him healing another demon-possessed child. There is belief and unbelief in this chapter. There is the importance of listening to Jesus, the importance of prayer. And if that wasn't enough, there is also teaching on sin, the soul, and judgment day. So we have got our work cut out for us to cover all this in the next 25 minutes. And the key question is, what holds all these things together? What is the one thing that God wants to say to us from this passage? And I suggest, because Bible commentators disagree on how this holds together, I suggest the key verse for us, of which everything else flows from it, is verse 35. And the infinite value of following Jesus Christ today. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, Jesus says. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it forever. The infinite value of following Jesus Christ today. That is a message that the church across the world desperately needs to hear today and you and I desperately need to hold on to today at a time where on average 11 Christians are killed every day purely for their decision to follow Jesus Christ for people where following Jesus is literally a life or death decision they need to be absolutely sure of the infinite value of Jesus Christ, knowing him and following him. In a week where Dr. David Meredith, did you read about this? A compassionate doctor working in the NHS for 30 years, lost his appeal against the Department for Work and Pensions after he was sacked for saying in a training session, no less, that he could not use transgender pronouns to identify clients. Now, I've only just seen the headlines, but apparently the employment tribunal judge ruled that the Christian belief in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God made us male and female is, I quote, incompatible with human dignity and not worthy of respect in a democratic society. Now, this doctor and all Christian doctors, all Christian people in the medical, all professionals who are Christians, need to be absolutely convinced of why following Jesus Christ today is worth it if they are not going to be pressured to fall under this compelled speech coming upon them. 
And on a day like today, Compassion Sunday, where we're thinking about meeting the needs of others, giving up our time, energy, effort for Inspire Football, Inspire English, visiting the sick, the elderly, making sacrifices for the sake of others. Again, we need to know it's worth it, why Jesus calls us to it and the infinite value of following him today. So whether it's the pressure from the outside, just the daily struggle within to follow Jesus, to obey his word, to follow his will, this is a message we all need to hear first. Notice the cross-shaped life of the disciple. Have a glance down at verse 34. This is true for every disciple of Jesus Christ. We're on page 1012. Then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must, this is not optional, this is for every Christian disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Ernest Shackleton, the famous Antarctic explorer, reportedly placed the following advertisement in the Times newspaper for an upcoming expedition. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. Would you have gone? No, you say. And yet Jesus is saying something very similar here about being his disciple. He is saying, come die with me. Is that your expectation for the Christian life? Unfortunately, that phrase, taking up your cross, has now become part of the English language for sort of anything that is unpleasant or you know, painful and almost said a bit of a joke, you know, I've got to take the bins out or I've got to change a dirty nappy and crash. Oh, my bunions, it's my cross to bear. What Jesus Christ is saying here, what he is calling us to here, is something far more radical. He is calling us to give up everything, our entire lives, for him. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. No longer live for themselves, but exclusively live for Jesus Christ. No longer try to save yourself for your good works, your achievements, trust only in Jesus Christ. You must deny your status, your popularity, your reputation for the sake of mine. You must deny your sex life, your work life, your personal life, insofar as it is contrary to what I say. You must deny yourself. That's not all. You must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. Which, as we just said, is not anything unpleasant or painful. But anything that comes our way specifically for following Jesus Christ which for many Christians around the world will mean martyrdom and the loss of life. Here in the UK, it might mean the loss of your job, like Dr. David Meredith. For most of us, it will mean the loss of popularity, the loss of social status amongst our friends and colleagues. 
You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And you must follow me. And where did Jesus end up? Where did his life end up? Hung and nailed to a cross at age 33, roughly. And we expect it to be any different for us. Christianity is not about health and wealth in this life, if you've ever heard that or be taught that. Do you hear Jesus Christ calling people to himself and saying it is not about self-fulfillment? Not in this life, it is about self-denial. Hugely countercultural. But this is the cross-shaped life. And you might think to yourself, my goodness, well, if the Christian life is that difficult, if that's what Jesus is calling us to, why would anyone sign up for this? Well, Jesus piles on the reasons in verses 35 to 39. Let me read these to you. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, a reference to Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, do you see what Jesus Christ is saying here? He is laying out two options, two choices. You can have 70 years, more or less, living for yourself, go for it, gain the world, and then you will lose it all for eternity. Or you can live for me, live for Jesus Christ for 70 or so years. And you may well suffer for it. There may well be a high cost for that. But then there will be an eternity of life with him and his disciples in a perfectly renewed world forever. These are the two options. Which one do you want? Glory if you can get it now and then suffering for eternity or some suffering now and then glory for eternity. Well, when you put it like that, Jesus, it's a bit of a no-brainer, right? Of course we'll pick a little bit of suffering now if it's eternal glory to come. But then how many people are living their lives the opposite way round? Living for themselves, living for the here and now, going after the best results, the best degree, the best achievements, the best accolades, the best career, the best relationships, the best marriage, the best children, the best retirement plan, only to lose it all on judgment day. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Can you imagine that? And yet forfeit their soul. Answer, no good at all. Now, I know that we've been told that you and I, human beings, we're no more than some matter, you know, bunch of atoms come together over a process of billion years, here today, gone tomorrow. No rhyme or reason to it all. 
that this life is all there is, so you better make the most of it. But you ever think to yourself, why we're here? Where have we come from? What life is about? You know, where does this questioning come from? It's all random if it's all chance. Have you ever wondered why we love, we cry, we laugh, why we build cities, why we form cultures? Why we create music, works of art? Why we fear death, why we cry for justice, why we contemplate our very existence? It's because deep inside each and every one of us, we have a soul. And it was put there by God. We are not like the rest of the animal kingdom with just bodies. We are body and soul. It's what makes you, you. And it will last forever. And there is nothing, no greater loss that any human being can suffer than to forfeit their soul. This world, this current world, will one day pass away with everything in it. The one thing you must never lose is your soul. Jesus Christ is the only one who can preserve it. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This is the cross-shaped life. Secondly, this passage shows us a glimpse of glory which is what we need if we're really going to believe this and live like this. Because as long as you and I are unsure about the future, unsure about a life to come, unsure about a world to come, we're going to hedge our bets when it comes to Jesus. We, you know, we won't take him too seriously. We won't make too many sacrifices for him. Just in case we've got it wrong. Just in case this life is all there is. And Jesus Christ wants to alleviate these doubts reassure you of the future to come. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 9. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. I'm going to give you proof of this. I'm going to give you a glimpse of glory. Some of you will see this before you die. Now, this statement from John has puzzled a few scholars because if Jesus is talking here about his second coming, well, aren't we still waiting for it? And aren't all the disciples and the people he's talking about dead already? So isn't Jesus wrong when he says they won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in glory? No, he's not wrong because Jesus is not talking about the second coming here. He's talking about the transfiguration, the very next event in Mark's gospel. We even get the linking phrase in verse 2, after six days, which links verse 1 to the transfiguration and what an astonishing glimpse of glory this event is. They are high up a mountain. Think Moses on Mount Sinai. Think Elijah on Mount Carmel. And they're just about to make an appearance too. Now we have Jesus, upper mounting. God about to reveal himself again to his people. And there Jesus was transfigured. He changes, his clothes change. They become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Because this is not something happening in this world. Here is a vision, a glimpse of the world to come. Here is Jesus Christ in all his resurrection glory. Yes, he's about to die. I must die. I must suffer for the sins of the world. But three days later, he will rise again. There is a life to come. There is a renewed world 
to come. There is suffering now, there is glory later. We know this is a glimpse of the future because in verse 4, Moses and Elijah are there with him, these great prophets of old. Moses is long dead and buried. Elijah went straight up to heaven, but here they are now, alive and well, talking with Jesus. Here is a glimpse of the future. And that is why we can trust Jesus Christ and what he says about losing your life now to save it eternally. Look at verse 7. A cloud appears, covers them, and a voice comes from the cloud, the voice of God the Father. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. We can trust him. We can follow him. story I like to tell is back when I was an FX forwards trader in the city. After my first year as a graduate, a new guy joined the desk. His name was Rob, and he looked even younger than me, which was quite impressive back then because at age 22, I looked more like I was 15. And when he told me that he had to take his banking exams, I thought, oh, yeah, here's the new grad. That was like me last year, a little bit nervous. Let me show him around. Showed him how the phones worked. Click, click, this is how you use them. This is how the computers, screens work, etc. He looked at me a little bit quizzically. I said, don't worry. Give it a few you know, weeks. It will all become second nature to you. A bit later on that week, um, the head of FX London got up and said, I'd like to introduce you to our new global head of FX. Based now here in London, come over from Australia, Loads of years of experience, still has to take his UK banking exams, ha-ha, because they're different here in Australia. Let me introduce you to Rob Mandino, and I tell you, the look on my face, as fresh-faced Rob, who I thought was 15, got up to take the mic. Fresh-faced Rob, who was looking at me quizzically, now I knew why. Duh, not the new recruit, this is my new boss. Can you imagine how my relationship with this guy changed? now that I had seen who he really was. Can I ask you, in light of the transfiguration, do you see who Jesus Christ really is? He is no mere human being. He is fully human. He's also fully divine. He is the eternal Son of God. And we see him here in all his glory. And he has come to suffer and to die for us. But to rise again and to one day bring in a perfectly renewed world. Notice how Jesus makes the link in verse 9 between the transfiguration and the resurrection. He gives orders not to tell anyone what James, Peter, and John had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Because that's when they'll see, they'll realize what the transfiguration is about, this future glimpse of resurrection glory, this affirmation, this proof, this reassurance that there is a life to come, that there is another world, this world renewed to enjoy. Now look, I don't know what it is that's causing you to be ashamed of Jesus and his words right now. I'm sure we are all struggling with this in some way. Could be his teaching on sin and judgment. Could be his teaching that we are male or female. That's it. 
two options. It could be his teaching on human identity, human sexuality, how he wants you to spend your time, your money, whatever it is for you, the pressure you feel from the outside, the struggle you feel inside, can you behold Jesus Christ here? See his glory, the Father's affirmation. Listen to him. His word always brings life. His word is the one word you can trust. Following him, it is always worth it. No matter the cost to you, I'm conscious that for some here, the cost of being obedient to Jesus' word can be very high for you right now. Do you see it is ultimately worth it? Okay, the cross-shaped life. A glimpse of glory, finally, in verses 14 to 29, the power we all um, need. It is not easy to live like this. It is not easy to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow Jesus Christ. None of us can do this in our own strength. We need help. We need God's power. That is exactly what Jesus offers with this healing of the demon-possessed boy. Two bits of detail to notice in these verses. First, the inability of the disciples to heal the boy. Verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Then glance down to verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, how often do you and I go through life just depending on ourselves, just cracking on with our day with no reference to God or Jesus? And what he is calling us to here, this radical self-denial, taking up our cross, that is not something we can do on our own or in our own strength. This is something we can only do by prayer. And depending on Jesus Christ every day, all the time. Are you doing that? The boy's father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. In verse 23, Jesus says, if you can, as if I can't do that, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. And perhaps that's what you need to pray right now. In many ways, you do believe in the Lord. But in other ways, you don't believe. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, please give me just a clearer picture of who Jesus Christ really is. Would I really believe deep in my heart that what we're seeing here is true, that this life to come is real. And this world will be renewed. And so I can give things up in the here and now and follow you more, make sacrifices for you more that following you really is worth it. Help me to do that. I can't do it by myself. Help my unbelief. Pray that prayer. God loves to answer it. The second bit of detail to notice from these verses is the description of the boy in verse 26. As dead. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse 
that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, why this peculiar vocabulary? We know how economical the author Mark is with his words. So why describe this boy as a corpse and a dead when he's not really dead? Why describe this exorcism as a resurrection? It is highly unlikely that you and I will face demon possession, although it can happen in this world. What is certain is that you and I will all end up a corpse, dead, buried in a box or burnt to ashes in a jar. But Jesus Christ has the unique power to grant resurrection life. He is the only one who can do it. And so whatever we have lost in this life and given up for Jesus in this life will be gained in the next. I've used this quote before, but let me use it again because it's so apt for this passage. Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador, went to share the message of Jesus to the unreached people group of the Arca Indians, a notoriously dangerous tribe, and ended up being murdered by them at the age of 28. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He or she is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this week, I recently came across another entry in his diary. Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of spiritual children that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, touch his garments, and smile into his eyes, are there not stars, nor children shall matter, only himself. Friends, do you see the infinite value of following Jesus Christ today? Because all the sin, the suffering, The struggles of this life will one day come to an end. And we will see Jesus face to face, just as Peter, James, and John do here in all his glory. And we will spend an eternity with him and his people enjoying a perfectly renewed world together. Whatever the cost in this life, whatever we have lost, it will all be worth it. Let me close with three brief applications for Compassion Sunday. First, God loves it when we deny ourselves for the sake of others. God loves it because we're following in the example of his son, his son whom he loves, his son who gave up everything for the eternal well-being of others. So get stuck in to Compassion Ministries. Give to it. Pray for it. Got that flyer to pray this week. God loves it. Secondly, as you get stuck in, don't forget to give people a glimpse of glory. Meeting people's immediate needs is vitally important. 
but meeting people's ultimate need. The forgiveness of sin, the salvation of their souls, is eternally important. Do not be ashamed of Coach's Corner as you speak to the children about Jesus in Inspire Football. Do not stop inviting people from Inspire English to church afterwards. If you're inspiring the student, great to have you here. We want you to hear about Jesus Christ. And as you visit the sick and visit the elderly, let's try in a natural, winsome, gentle way to open up the conversation for Jesus Christ. There is no greater need for people to turn to him. Let's give people a glimpse of glory. Third thing, third implication of this passage. Pray, pray, and then pray some more. We cannot do this in our own strength. None of us can. There will be times when you do not want to get, want to get up early on a Sunday morning in the pouring rain to set up in Sparfield, but in the hope that the rain will subside. There'll be times when you can't be bothered with Inspire English to lead it, when you'd rather stay in bed, have a bit of me time, rather than visit the elderly. We can't do this in our own strength. We need help. We need power. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father, what a passage this is. So much in here. And here is Jesus calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Thank you for this picture of Jesus in all his resurrection glory, this affirmation, reassurance of a life to come. This world made new again. And would that become an experiential reality deep in our hearts and minds that we may give up more for Jesus sacrifice time, energy for him, for his sake, for his reputation. Help us to lose our lives so that we may save them. Keep us listening to Jesus. Keep us praying. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We ask it for Jesus' namesake. Amen.